You are listening to Las Culturas del Sur de Ohio, a podcast of Southern Ohio Folklife. Episode 1, Making Southern Ohio Home, Migration and Travel Stories. On September 2nd, 1965, the Portsmouth Times reported that a delegation consisting of a mariachi band of several men and a female singer and dancer would be visiting Portsmouth. City Council had granted a request by Leo C. Blackburn that signs designating Portsmouth as Orizaba's sister city be placed at entrances to the city, and that the visiting delegation be recognized as honorary Portsmouth citizens. Portsmouth is located at the southern tip of Ohio, just across the river from Kentucky. Just a couple years prior to the 1965 article, locals had established their sister city relationship with Orizaba, a municipality within the state of Veracruz, Mexico. Orizaba is also depicted on a large-scale mural along with Portsmouth's two other sister cities, calling them Portsmouth's window on the world. The mural and the report on the delegation led me to wonder about the deeper historical relationships between Latin America and Southern Ohio, which continue today. When you imagine contemporary Latina communities in the Midwest or Appalachia, you probably think of cities like Chicago and Detroit, maybe Nuevo South and Tennessee, but do you think of Southern Appalachia and Ohio? The 2020 census counts 9,656 Latinos residing within the 11 Southern Appalachian Ohio counties, including Claremont, Brown, Highland, Adams, Ross, Pike, Scioto, Vinton, Jackson, Lawrence, and Gallia. That amounts to nearly 1.5% of the census-counted population in the Southern Appalachian, Ohio subregion. These numbers are still relatively small compared to other large Latino Midwest and Latino Appalachia cities, but these shifts in predominantly white and rural spaces pose significant changes in local demographics, politics, and culture that create tensions as well as opportunities. My name is Cassie Rosita Patterson, and I'm the founding director of Southern Ohio Folklife. I grew up in Rancho Cucamonga, a suburb located in Southern California. My mom is from San Juan Nanualco, El Salvador, and my dad's family raised him in Long Beach, California, after moving there from Belleville, Arkansas. Growing up in a mixed family allowed me an opportunity to pay attention to cultural dynamics and shifts, innovations, hybridities, adaptations, and assimilations. Surprisingly, moving to Southern Ohio has provided a new context to explore these dynamics in ways that take me back to my own roots. Las Culturas del Sur de Ohio is a podcast by Southern Ohio Folklife that seeks to understand the lifeways of Latina communities that call the region home. In this first episode, we introduce you to four narrators who represent long-standing as well as newer residents of the Southern Ohio area, including Hector Reffitt, J.D. Emnett, Edwin Martell, and Pablo Salinas. They share aspects of their personal stories in both English and Spanish language as an homage to the increasingly bilingual realities we are all living in today. You know, I think one of the, the things that some people didn't didn't think it was like well there's not that many you know they they saw some uh latinos around but then you know uh with social media you'd see them posting on a birthday party and they'd be 50 60 80 
They're like, man, I didn't know there was that many. I'd be like, yeah, man. I said, there's there's some places, some uh, places around here, you know, sawmills and stuff that that's the majority of their workforce is, you know, they have 60 or 80 work, you know, Latinos working there. And uh, so you know, a lot, uh, kind of surprising to a lot of people that uh, the Latino community is as large as it is. And I think even probably even to this day, there's a lot of people that don't really realize how many Latinos are in the area um, because they generally stay, you know, stay kind of isolated. Um, because I think a lot of them have still, you know, have experienced, uh, you know, uh, racial things, um, unfortunately. Seems like some have been fleeing, um, either uh, poor political environment or chaos, um, some uh, asylum seekers. Um, that's been the bulk of what um, we've been seeing. Sometimes it's they lived in another part of the United States, but moved in with this family here in Portsmouth. Um, almost all of them are centralized around that I have an opportunity to make a lot more money here and take care of my family that's with me and take care of my family that's back home by sending money back home by being here. Um, find a ton of employment and even extra employment. Um, so working landscaping jobs in the evening or in the weekends. Um, so I, I, you know, I still think it's in search of something better. That's, that's a pretty big umbrella. Um, the particular friend that I'm talking about is his idea. He hasn't seen his, his, his wife or his kids in about seven or eight years. And he's all his, his plan is, what is, is he's bought some land. Um, he's uh, built him a house. So when he's done working here, he's going to go over there and farm. You know, sell beans, sell, you know, the, the, the uh, whatever it is that they sell over there. Uh, raise raise some animals, uh, have a little store or something, and you know live live like that. And uh, you know I think that's that's a it's a I think a lot of people don't realize you know the the struggle that a lot of these you know Latino guys that come over uh, go through you know trying to live here in Southern Ohio, United States, just in general. Hector Reffitt is a pastor at Cross Church in Lucasville, Ohio, who grew up in Minford and is a longtime resident of the area. He talks about how he moved to Minford with his siblings as an orphan from Mexico via Texas. His mother had to surrender her children while dealing with medical issues. So I was born in Mexico um, the place that the name of the place is Piedras Negras, um, Coahuila, which is right uh, on the border of Texas, um, around uh, the borders Eagle Pass, Texas, is the the Texas city. So I was born there, um, 
my mom and my dad, there was six of us, uh, six siblings. And so my mother had health issues. And when we, we were, when I was really young, they, my, my mom and my dad divorced. Um, he left her with uh, us six kids. And unfortunately, because of her health issues, uh, she couldn't care for six children. And so I think when I was three, maybe, um, she, she took us to uh, an orphanage. And there was, it just happened to be that there was three ladies from the tri-state area here, Ohio, Kentucky, West Virginia, that uh, they went down and started a, a, a um, orphanage in Mexico. So the three American ladies started an orphanage in Mexico. And uh, that's where my mom heard about it. She took us there. Um, they took us in. And then um, the government, uh, from what I recall, told them that because they weren't citizens of Mexico, that they couldn't run that type of an establishment. And so what they did is they, they hired a local pastor to to kind of run the the orphanage for them. And so what they did is they started a orphanage in, in Texas, just right across the border. Um, we were the ones, those kids that were taken to Texas were the ones that were um, given the opportunity, I guess, to get a, you know, if one, a visa first, then a passport, then a green card. And then um, at that time, uh, the la the main lady, her name was Ruth, um, where she had family that lived up here in Ohio. Um, actually, I think her brother worked out of the A plant in Piketon. Is you know they went to our parents. Uh, of course, they went to my mom. You know we were six of the, I think, fifteen kids that they brought here to Southern Ohio. And uh, I'm sure that uh you know her thinking was you know they're going to be able to have a better life going or me giving them up for adoption you know letting this woman take take them, adopt them than me trying to take care of them and so um she um she you know gave up her right basically gave up her rights to us while hector talks about immigration based on conditions of distress Dr. Pablo Salinas discusses his Peruvian migrant family heritage, as well as his and his family's move to Portsmouth via Canada for his teaching job. Dr. Salinas is an associate professor with expertise in Spanish language and Hispanic cultures and literatures at Shawnee State University. Listen as Pablo shares, in Spanish, how, for his family, migration is an intergenerational way of life. Uh, I in Lima, hace mucho ya. Y um, mis padres son, mi madre es de Lima y mi padre es de un pequeño pueblo, um, como a 10 horas, 9 horas de Lima, tal vez algo menos ahora. Um, y él viajó a Lima a estudiar. Entonces uh, allí um, conoció a mi madre y entonces uh, nacimos todos, nuestros hermanos, somos cuatro en Lima. Pero tenemos muchas raíces de provincias del interior del Perú. 
Entonces, mientras mi padre avanzaba y estudiaba, como era la primera generación de, que iba a la universidad, pues iba un poco mejorando su vida, no consiguiendo un trabajo, íbamos mudándonos constantemente. Nos hemos mudado varias veces y, um, y yo recuerdo, sí, esas constantes mudanzas con, con alegría, ¿no? Porque, bueno, los padres no te preguntaban antes quieres ir o no quieres ir, simplemente decía vamos a ir a tal lugar, ahora vamos a vivir allá, vamos a tener A, B o C que no teníamos antes. Pequeñas mejoras que ahora no parecen nada probablemente, pero para nosotros era pues una, una alegría, por ejemplo, vivir en provincia en un tiempo con la, cerca a la familia de mi padre versus eh, regresar a vivir a Lima um, donde estaba la familia de mi madre. ¿no? Entonces había unas... Unas, uh, unas, ese, muchos viajes, recuerdo muchos viajes, muchos ir, ir a muchos lugares, vivir en diversos lugares, y eso influyó mucho en mi, tal vez en mi condición migrante también, ¿no? Entonces, uh -huh. para eso, transportarme, salir de un lugar, ir a otro y tratar de adaptarme, no fue, digamos, um, tan complicado ya de adulto, porque esos constantes cambios. Muchos de esos se producían también en la manera de vivir, porque cada lugar tenía una comida diferente, por ejemplo, uh -huh. una, hasta un pequeño acento diferente, uh, una condición económica algo diferente a veces. Entonces, era con, eso es lo que más recuerdo de mi niñez, ¿no? Con mis hermanos, uh, viajar y, y adaptarnos a, a nuevos lugares. Mi padre es inmigrante, ¿no? Mi, mi abuelo también. Entonces nosotros hemos, este, venimos de una tradición así. Our next narrator, Edwin Martel, moved to Portsmouth from Lorain, Ohio, an area that has a rich history of Puerto Rican and Mexican immigration following World War I, when workers were being recruited to the steel mills. Edwin, who is of Puerto Rican descent, describes what it was like growing up in Lorain and adjusting to living in Portsmouth after he moved there with his family. Um, yeah, uh... So, um, you know, I, I uh, growing up in Lorraine was um, it's it was a, a, a it's a different experience compared to um, like living out here like in Portsmouth. Um, so, uh, because the the community is uh, mostly you know Hispanics, um, it, it it kind of it it felt more. I felt more comfortable um, uh, around, um, you know, those of, of uh, Hispanic descent. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, growing up, it was uh, it, it was it was actually great. Um, I mean, I have uh, tons and tons of family um, in in Lorraine, which uh, also added to that um, that comfortableness. Um, mm -hmm. And um, you know, it was a uh, Uh, it's to me it it it, it kind of uh, a lot of people say it's it's little Puerto Rico and you know moving here to Portsmouth was a culture shock for me um, because there was um, there's there was no one um, like it, I wouldn't say no one there was there was there's not enough diversity um in in uh Portsmouth. And mm -hmm. so going from places like the big city where you know I'm I'm used to being around um 
you know, tons of family, tons of uh, Hispanics um, and different cultures even uh, to come to Portsmouth and, and only really be able to um, like see or, or be around um, not that many, uh, you know, of, of my, my culture. Uh, there's, there's not a lot of Hispanics here. Like it's right. crazy. Like I have to drive two hours just to get me some, um, you know, something to cook. Uh, I have to make my own sofrito and stuff. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So it's like, uh, I can't buy that stuff out here. Migration and travel are multifaceted aspects of everyday life that can expand our understanding of the world around us. For this reason, we felt it important to sit down with J.D. Emnet, a white resident whose family has been in the region for generations. J.D., who now facilitates language and education services for English language learners in the area, was transformed by a mission trip to Belize that impacted his life trajectory. I grew up in Wheelersburg, Ohio, and uh, still live in Wheelersburg, and uh, attended Wheelersburg local schools. Uh, I'm one of three. I have a younger brother uh, that's four years younger than me and a younger sister that's eight years younger than me. Um, I have a mother and a father. Uh, My dad worked uh, industry, and my mother worked in doctor's offices um, her whole life as an insurance biller. Um, We were raised uh, to put others first, Um, There was a high priority on um, serving the needs of those that are less fortunate uh, in our family. Even though we probably, you know, growing up, we weren't um, rich by any shape of the imagination. We were regular middle class, but it was a priority um, that my parents both, um, I think, probably intentionally, Um, conveyed to me and my brother and sister that the needs of others and those that are less fortunate need to be taken care of. And um, we had a, I would consider it, I don't know, normal uh, upbringing as far as the background in uh, English learner services uh, probably began for me um, when I was 21 or two. a friend of mine invited me to go on a mission trip to uh, Belize. And um, I'd never been on a big airplane. Uh, I'd never flown anywhere. I'd never been outside, you know, of the United States and hadn't been ever really very far from Ohio. And uh, so I went and uh, drastically changed my life. Just the, um, I don't know. I don't think there's one thing about the trip that changed my life, just the fact that there's a whole other world out there um, with really cool people in it. Um, my background, uh, this is my 21st year in education. Um, I started my career as a teacher at Scioteville um, Community School and taught there for four years and moved on um, to South Point High School, where I was a high school principal for four years, or high school assistant principal for four years, and from there to Green Local Schools, where I was the high school principal for eight years. This is my fifth year here at the Educational Service Center. My job here uh, is broad, um, so I I help facilitate uh, evaluations for about 60 teachers. Um, that work in our cooperative units throughout um, five counties. I also um, am assigned to three local districts in whatever capacity that they would need me. Um, 
On top of that, I work with nine individual schools in Lawrence County in a capacity as a consultant. And then uh, recently, over the last three years, um, after receiving my TESOL um, endorsement on my license and doing work at University of Finley, uh, I've overseen our English learner services um, here, both uh, at the student level and then just recently we began an adult program. Um, so all of that uh, is kind of what I do. Throughout our conversations with interviewees, schools came up as important spaces where newly arrived migrants and immigrants interact with their new home communities. Whether attending adult English classes, enrolling children in school, or providing translation services for English language learners, all of our narrators discussed interacting with educational systems and environments that serve as initial sites of interaction in a new area. We were probably one of the first some of the first Mexicans that came to Southern Ohio. When I first, when I first, we first went to school, uh, of course we got the, our, we had really thick accents, you know, we spoke Spanish. Um, we got the weird looks, um, you know, the, the occasional, once people found out, you know, hey, they're Mexicans or this or that, uh, you know, we got the occasional, um, you know, racial slurs from people. For my wife, it wasn't very easy. Um, but, you know, for my daughter, it was not very easy uh, because there were not, there's not a lot of, uh, there's not a lot of kids that are like her. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, she had a very difficult time in, in school. Um, we had to uh, put her into um, schools that, that, a school that, had more of a diversity um, to, for her to be able to, you know, feel comfortable. Um, and when we feel comfortable, that's when we flourish, right? So um, for her, it was very stressful until she was capable of uh, being comfortable, and then she flourished. Um, and so, you know, that lack of that lack of culture and that lack of diversity around here um, is a challenge, um, but. Um, but I, I think that um, with anything, especially a challenge like this, um, if, uh, if we can introduce um, little things like music and food and, um, and just let people know um, that, you know, not every Hispanic is Mexican. Um, mm -hmm. And that's that's the common denominator denominator down here mm -hmm. in Portsmouth. If you're Hispanic, you're automatically Mexican. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, trying to teach people uh, the differences in our culture, mm -hmm. um, you know, there's uh, it's challenging. But I think that um, I'm always up for a, a challenge. And so, mm -hmm. uh, to me, it, it it's um, it's different, but. Um, I've I've been able to to really flourish out here as well as um, as well as I can, anyways. But I think I think that's one of the the big things is just I think they're 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 I don't know if it's scared, nervous, or you know afraid that one. I think a lot of them have been treated not so well, so they think that hey, you know they'll treat us that way, or just the the language barrier is they can't communicate to somebody, so they'd rather just 
kind of stay, you know, with familiarity, something that's familiar. In his work at the Southern Ohio Educational Service Center, JD provides translation services and adult English classes to individuals with diverse language backgrounds, including Japanese, Russian, Arabic, Mandarin, and Spanish, among others. Here, he reflects on the impact that translation services have on parent-teacher conferences at local schools. We also found that as we began to do that work, um, we were given a voice to parents for the first time, some. Because we would, if before, um, most of the parents didn't come in for a conference because there was no services provided as far as translation. And the embarrassment of coming and trying to communicate with somebody was too much to get over. So we started really advocating for anytime you have a parent in, let's make sure that there's translation services even if they say that they don't want them. Um, I mean, if they're adamant, we don't. But if they're kind of on the edge, we've erred on the side of having translation services because sometimes in academics, there's a vocabulary term that the parent's trying to convey to us that maybe the, the word doesn't exist in Spanish or they just can't come up with the word. Um, and the same point in time, there's sometimes we're trying to convey something to them and we're having a hard time. And so having that translator allows that to happen. What we saw was there was a whole population of people that really wanted to support their kids' education that didn't have an avenue to do it. And we spent a lot of time in education complaining about parents not wanting to support children. And here we had this whole population of, by and large, like a mother and a father who wanted to be involved in this segment, we heard stories of immigration, migration, and travel that introduced our first four narrators. Up next, we will learn about the role that faith, family, and community networks play in Latina life in Southern Ohio. Las Culturas del Sur de Ohio draws on an open access digital archive of oral histories conducted by Southern Ohio Folklife and housed at the Center for Public History at Shawnee State University. Our project asks, what are the histories, stories, traditions, and dreams of Latina Southern Ohioans? Las Culturas del Sur de Ohio is made possible by the generous support of the Central Appalachia Living Traditions Project of Mid-Atlantic Arts and Ohio Humanities. Episodes are produced in partnership with media arts organization Los Herderos. A big thank you to our steering committee, Alejandra Ortega, Michael Barnhart, Sue Eluterio, J.D. Emnett, Lucia Espinosa, Andrew Fight, Elena Faulis, Franklin Harris IV, Dan Kaufman, Celine Lamb, Edwin Martel, Hector Raffet, and Pablo Salinas. Thank you also to Elena Faulis, Celine Lamb, Dan Kaufman, Ileana Perez, and Pablo Salinas for translation and transcription services. If you like what you hear, please consider donating to Southern Ohio Folklife to support our future work. Go to southernohiofolklife.org and click on the support button to learn more about how you can contribute.